0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com.
1: So I says, I said to him, I said, I said <laughs> <laughs> "No way! You exactly. you did not say that. No, you did yeah, not say yeah, that. No. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Right, right to her face? Yeah, yeah, yeah right, to face. Uh-huh. right to her face. Uh huh, right to her face." Hello everybody, welcome to today's edition of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and people behind it. As you know, I'm Blake Weiland, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with one Mr. Robert Keeley. How are you doing oh, today, sir?
0: Man, been a great day. I lost my headphones, but uh, you know there was a Target available, so I bought some new headphones. Ah, so, the trials and tribulations of Recording demos when you lose your ah, headphones. Ah, yes. Otherwise, the day was picture perfect.
1: Nice. Yeah. Recording demos. Are these, uh, uh, new pedals or are these pedals that we have seen? Well, of course, every week you have a new pedal. So
0: every week we have a new <laughs> pedal is, is the mantra. But today was, uh, special because we had the gold star reverb that's, that's going to be released, uh, tomorrow and, uh, Lance Seymour of, uh, Gear Talk. Mm hmm. Um, did a demo, and I was going to do a technical demo on the distorted reverb, um, kind of a unwieldy beast to uh, play, and uh, the pedal offers a lot of different sounds and stuff like that. So I was going to try to record one. Everything uh, was okay until I couldn't, you know, listen to the re- the tracks back to under- mm. you know, understand what, what I was doing. So at any rate. Got some new yeah. headphones, and maybe maybe later on tonight I'll record some more.
1: Right on, right on. Do you yeah. do, do you have a little like home studio that you do those in, or do you do them at the shop? I
0: have the the infancy, the genesis of a home home recording studio, um, and so upstairs in my office uh, I set up something, and I'm still I'm still playing with it. I I don't really sit on camera too too often, so that's going to be my future role, and. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, and, and I'm trying to have fun doing it. So I got to get all the pieces in place for the recording gear, monitoring, playback. You know, understanding what I'm doing, right? Camera, right. Ca- camera angles, lighting, all that stuff. So I really want to move into that, though. It's it's kind of fun to to see the guy that at least directs, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. Directs what pedals are being produced and what sounds are being produced um, to demonstrate them for people to show you know, what I like about the sounds and what I think is inspiring.
1: That's very cool. I think people will really enjoy that. I mean, there's lots of demo guys that do great work and that's why they do it, but I think it'll be an interesting angle for you to, to approach it from that. I mean, you know, on a, on a regular basis, there's, there are companies that do that, but if you're going to do it consistently, that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. You know, um, you know, what's, I'd have to use the word even jealous. The, the the folks at Catlin Bread, I think the guy's name is Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays some incredible demos. And uh, every time I watch it, I go away bruised and beaten because I'm like, <laughs> that's exactly how I would do it. And now I can't do it because they've done it so perfectly. I have to walk away from it and go, okay, find your own place. Um, yeah, but when when... Exactly, man. When when people are involved in the production of the the gear and then show you how uh, wonderfully it works, it it's magic. And I think that's what they've done. I I want to do that for my pedals, so I just got to get
1: set up for it. So nice, nice. So we can oh, yeah. be looking forward to that uh, very soon. Then I take it. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put out a couple of them. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a learning process and uh, stuff like that. But it it is fun to show off the different sounds and explain it from a very technical standpoint where people can understand the controls and how they interact, how they uh, make different sounds so that people can hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and and understand exactly what they're getting and what they can do with it.
1: Right, right. That's cool. I'll look forward to that for sure. So that's that's awesome. I lo- oh, love yeah. hearing that. So I better, like, stop myself right now before I do what I what I sometimes do, and did on the last episode I recorded, um, before I get away from my questions, um, because I really want, I think a lot of people would be really interested to hear, and I know I am, about uh, my big standard question, which is, what is Rob Keeley's musical backstory, and how did it lead you to doing what you're doing today?
0: Man, I... I like my my backstory. I like my history, because my history started with um, uh, music. It started with uh, my grandma buying me a guitar from uh, a place in uh, called the Music Gallery, which is still in business right outside of Chicago, Highland Park, uh, Illinois. Uh, bought me a, you know, probably at the time it was probably thirty-five to seventy bucks. For a Yamaha student guitar an FG, whatever, fill in the blank, thirty-five, thirty-six. Right. And and I would go to uh my dad's practice. My dad would practice with a lady and they would play songs, everything from like stairway to heaven to uh oh my gosh, um other 70s hits, I'll think of them in just a second, but, uh, (laughs) you know, they they would do anything from Hart to Led Zeppelin to Carly Simon to, you know, uh, Pete Seeger, you know, to anybody right popular. And and, um, the the running joke at the time was that my dad was going to the library. Well, the library was a bar in Upper Michigan, right outside uh, Michigan Tech University. So my dad was going to the library, a.k.a. He was going to jam and make some music, and that's how he paid for his college and you know kept us nice. in, in food and diapers. So um, that's kind of how it started. Um, when we moved from the United States to Germany, my dad got stationed in Germany. I went through high school in Germany. Um, they listened to me play You Really Got Me Now on a Dan Electro incessantly, in the uh, Chevy uh, station wagon until they said when they got to New York, they were like, let's box this thing up and ship it. Cause we don't want to listen to you. You really <laughs> got me now for the, for the you know, 10,000th time. So off the guitar went, I got to Germany and uh, it was about, uh, I don't know, late, late fall. They, um, they got me a, for Christmas, they got me a Squire Stratocaster. Those are the good ones, the Japanese ones mm-hmm. from, from the 80s, the 84, 85, and um, 84. And um, so there I was, blessed with my dad's uh, PV Deuce amplifier, this 6L6 monster that was like a Fender Twin type of thing. Nice. And I know, it was, mm. it was so awesome and so loud. And... uh and a Squire Stratocaster, which, you know, in retrospect, is a is a great guitar. So I had this incredible guitar um, and incredible amplifier. And uh, I lived out in a village far away from the rest of uh, German civilization. So I got to play for eight hours a day. My whole world became music. So that's kind of like the earliest, earliest background. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I, 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 you know, saved up for a Fostex 4-track, recorded, you know, Beethoven stuff with heavy distortion, Ibanez, you know, metal mm-hmm. charger, metals, mm-hmm. and did symphonies on there, I, you know, played in bands, learned Ingve songs, you know, note for note, but that's, that's the earliest beginnings of it, uh, trying to understand, you know, what my dad was doing with, uh, you know, folk and classic rock, probably classic rock, and then... When I moved to Germany, everything was heavy metal, so it was a blend of those two things, uh, and uh, I think you know, great gear for the time. Right. And uh, so that's kind of the earliest part. You know, there's a, there's a middle section which transforms to more of a high fidelity, more of a, a higher understanding of sound, but that's the early part. Okay. Well,
1: I mean, continue on. I you gotta okay. so go so go through we'll, the whole the whole time, man.
0: Yeah. So. So throughout Germany, playing in bands was 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 great and informative. Uh, lots of learning of different styles. Like I, I'd get this magazine called Guitar for the Practicing Musician, and it would have everything from, you know, Kiss and Crocus to uh, Al Dimiola and Inge Malmsteen. And wow. so, so you know, there was no internet. There was no nothing like that. So I'd get the magazine. I'd be waiting anxiously. Everything is behind in Germany at the time, so I'd be waiting for the issue to come out, finally get the issue, and pour over it for, you know, an entire month, learning the material. Then, when I moved uh, from Germany to the United States, I worked in uh, stereo stores. The stereo stores gave me this kind of uh, halfway snobbish thing, because there was some tube audio there. There was A lot of uh, new CD players and DVDs and stuff like that. And I I started working on the gear. I had great guys that helped me understand how to troubleshoot the gear and what made, you know, uh, audio gear great and what made it mediocre. And um, so then for the next, I think, 15 years, I worked in different stereo stores, uh, repairing audio gear and uh, understanding, you know, what makes things. Tick, what makes things sound good, what works, what doesn't work, and uh, often I, I, I go ahead and say that that stuff um, was really informative and formative in, in my development of uh, the early mods, the early heli Electronics gear, like the compressor and stuff like that, because the parts I chose were the same parts I saw in the high-end gear. So, you know, the first 15 or so years I lived here in Oklahoma, it was a, um, that became the basis for um, what became uh, amplifiers that I made in the 90s to effects pedals in the two, in 2000s. So that's kind of how it,
1: it started, you know? That's uh, That, that uh, timeline makes like 100% sense for how you uh, got to where you are today, like that all those pieces fit together and it's like, oh, okay, clearly what else would he be doing right now?
0: Sure. I mean, I mean, when I first got here to Oklahoma, it was a, it was a dramatic change. You have to imagine living in Germany and everything's green. Everything's kind of cool and not, not hippie, not hipster, but something was, was very, very cool about it. I come to this, forsaken place called Oklahoma <laughs> and it, it's desolate I mean it was like December when I got here so everything's brown and and destroyed and um forlorn and uh it, it just took off on this journey where I was like wow I need to make money I need to do electronics because my you know the only thing I understand that makes money is what my dad did my dad right. was an electric my, my dad was an electrical engineer uh he made good money you know, so let me go ahead and start school. Let me go ahead and start electronics. Let me figure this out. And, uh, you know, I tried different, like, coffee shop bands and country bands and whatever became of it. And uh, eventually I found my way to uh, an engineer that was making his own circuit boards and doing crazy stuff for glamour shots. Remember, there was a place that did, did uh photography in malls
1: Oh, glamour geez. shots really yeah, and
0: so so i worked for the engineer that developed that stuff is jt hensley and he um designed that gear we modified these panasonic thermal printers and sony thermal printers so the the concept of modding actually became came to me in the mid 90s from this guy that that uh, owned a company called industrial video he modified thermal printers things that printed out pictures of, you know, ladies, lab rats, because we did stuff for both medical facilities and glamour shots. Right. So those those things kind of took place there. I saw circuit boards being making, made, and I saw um, uh, circuits being modified. And so it became kind of second nature. or became something that was, you know, I didn't give a second thought to when it came to understanding how, amplifiers were modified in in the later 90s mid 90s where I saw like Gerald Weber of Kendrick amplifiers making modifications to basement amplifiers those basement amplifiers he you know built a company on and that's exactly how I got started in modifying gear so the amplifiers came first modifying gear uh was already natural to me and uh, so then fast forward to 2001, when I decided to make uh, a Ross compressor, um, it was very easy to, to use the stuff that I had learned in the hi-fi gear, modifying equipment, making my own circuit board, and uh, producing a product, because that's what I had done with the Glamour Shot stuff, and the stuff for the uh, Health Science Center, and the medical facility stuff, so Making my own product seemed very natural at the time. It was it was kind of new. I mean, there was you know Mike Fuller, Analog Man, uh, you know a couple other folks, right? And uh, so it was it was a lot of fun making that gear at the time. It 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 seemed like kind of like the Wild West, you know. So that's kind of how it started. Those are all the pieces that fit together,
1: right? So did you you started off making the compressor or did you start off with the like ts9 and mods and things that you are also known for at the time
0: that's a great question so in in the mid 90s i started with amplifiers i wanted to build like deluxes and basements and my boss at the time at a stereo store called uh audio midwest he didn't quite get it I, i i gave him a business proposal i said Hey, we can make, uh, you know, these vintage amplifiers, recreations. They're doing popular vintage guitar magazine has them in there. You know, there's all these folks we can do it. And, uh, he didn't buy it. So a couple (laughs) years. Yeah, exactly. A couple years passed by. And, uh, then only because I wanted to find, um, that sound that, uh, uh, Trey Anastasio of Fish had, um, did, did I start to make, uh, compressors and, um, uh-huh. And, and, and so I built my first compressor based off some notes off the internet. And, um, it just happened like that. The, the first compressor took a couple months to build, build parts, troubleshoot it. And, uh, when I heard it for the first time, it was, uh, completely amazing. And it was, it was not life changing, but it was so, uh, So different than how I had heard any other compressor that I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'll put this up on eBay. I know people will like this because it sounds good to my ears. And uh, that's how it started. So, you know, I sold the first compressor in September 2001. And uh, it, it really just honestly took off from there.
1: So when did you start offering? Oh, boy. Here's my buddy, the train guy.
0: We'll just yeah. pretend he's not
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> he came by last time too. He's been a he's been annoying me lately. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so did you start? When did like you started on eBay? Is yeah. that when did Keeley Electronics kind of get like you realize that is what you're gonna do full time?
0: Well, um, so uh, it actually happened. That, uh, September 11th, 2001, I delivered the first compressor. Um, I went off to school. Um, next thing I know, the, um, the, I guess, I don't know, the, uh, the principal of the school came to me and put a TV in my room, showed me what was happening with the world. We kind of, uh, ran off and hid for a while on September 11th, but I had shipped off the first compressor and, uh, they they sold and next thing I know I uh, you know built another one it sold and as fast as I could build them they would sell on on eBay um, that was two thousand one by two thousand two May of two thousand two I uh, put in my uh, notice that I was leaving and uh, started Keeley Electronics uh, full time so uh, it really kind of started full time. In two thousand two, the origins of it, and uh, you know that stuff became, you know, was two thousand one. So it was. It's just been a, it's just been a, you know, magic ride since then.
1: (laughs) It really has. So how long before you had realized you needed to start bringing people in to help you out? Because how long were you by yourself?
0: No, I was never, never, uh, by myself except for the first unit. So what happened is, um, I was already teaching at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, so there was this guy, uh, Jacob Adams, Jacob Adams was my first employee. And he was a student of mine at, uh, college. And, uh, one day all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. I go to the door. I'm like, who the hell is here at the first crack of dawn? Mm-hmm. And, and here's Jacob Adams. And he, I'm like, Hey, buddy, you know, what you doing here? He's mm-hmm. like, you told me to come here and start building pedals or something. And, uh, I was like, Oh, that's right. Yesterday I told you to come to my house and we were going to start building pedals. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm standing there in my underwear. Uh, Jacob will tell you the same truth. You know, Jacob runs a company called, uh, Mammoth Electronics. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so, um, Jacob was my first employee. I don't remember what day he started, but, um, Jacob has been in it since, uh, day one with me. So, um, if you think any of these stories are fabrications, Jacob can verify, any of them. <laughs> but no, it was, it was just like that. I mean, we started, uh, modifying TS9s and BD2s shortly after that. And then DS1s when... Dave Wiener from Steve Vai's Camp sent some DS1s in to mod. That was really inspiring. And we came up with the DS, I uh, came up with the DS Ultra mod at that time. So it, it, it just really blossomed in those first couple of years. Um, Jake I was there, a couple other guys, and, and um, uh, took off
1: from there. Very cool. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's very cool. And you've pretty much kept going ever since then. Like there's not really been much of a break for you, has there?
0: No. Or am I mistaken I mean, on that? No, I mean, you know, the, the break that exists is where, you know, um, I, I don't know how to put it delicately, but the break became when I got hooked on um, prescription pills. And so I kind of went into this hibernation and this kind of um, – Greedy type, you know, uh, thing that happens with uh, pain pills. Pain pills, um, for for any listener, or anybody who's familiar with it, kind of make you, uh, re- you know, go into your own world. You think everything's fine, and everything is not fine. And so, I would have to say, for 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 many years, we lived off the the incredible success of those those first years. So, you know, until. Until, uh, I quit pills in 2012, I, the company was kind of running on autopilot. I had a couple people that, um, like Jacob that, uh, did some absolutely fantastic work with me. I had a couple engineers, uh, Sylvester and, um, another guy that helped me with the phaser and the Luna. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the company kind of stagnated while every other company, uh, you know, JHS, Earthquaker, Wampler, Catlin Bread kind of grew up around me. So when I finally, uh, opened my eyes in February of 2012, I had a lot of, uh, very serious competition. So, um, you know, we enjoyed some great success in the mid 2000s and, uh, it slowly petered out until, uh, woke up and then I formed a new team of folks that, um, have, have brought about all this incredible change that's that's uh you know i think groundbreaking for the effects world you know, i think we've had our best year ever and um that's what's happening now
1: so that's uh that's interesting i i don't know if, if very many people know about that uh that part of your life um wh- what did it it was there like a did did the people you were working with know that you were having trouble or was it kind of a you had you kept it to yourself type of thing because you, you didn't think now, it was a problem.
0: You know, that's, that's really interesting. I I think um, some people, some people knew, some people understood. Um, uh, but it's kind of like I was the boss, so they didn't want to say anything. Right. So it kind of, it kind of, I got to, you know, I, I, you know, I bought endless guitars. I bought fancy Porsches. I, I mean, it was you know, crazy type, uh, you know, I don't know. Ill gotten gains is what I call it. Ill gotten gains. Okay. And so I, I, I had uh, a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, success and the people around me, um, noticed it, were very concerned, but, um, you know, chose, chose to move on or, which I don't blame them one bit, um, chose to move on. And uh, it kind of uh, allowed me to find a place where uh, I needed to make a definitive change and, and move on. And that's what happened in 2012. I said, you know, um, this, is not <laughs> <at all. Right. laughs> this is not working at all. This uh, is not working at all. You know, I, I had a, you know, what's now an ex-wife that you know, was instrumental in, in the destruction of the company. I had uh, myself <laughs> instrumental in the destruction of the company. And uh, I said, okay, enough with all that. And I moved on. I said, that's it. Time to quit. And time to move on. Uh, quit the pills. Um, found people that were very supportive of me. So like Lisa Hale, and who I hope we talk a whole bunch about, Creighton Hale, um, came in. And were instrumental in helping me get through not only the year and a half divorce, but then transforming the company with um, new designs and new product and increasing our skill level. You know, I don't know how many fold, tenfold would be probably uh, shy of what we've done. So, right. It's that kind of, you know, transformation where I said, you know, enough of this. I, I want something better. I'm so tired of being, you know, in the gutter. Um, even though the money was coming in. I mean, heck, even at the at the worst point during that stuff, I, I think we were making something, you know, obscene like two million a year. But it quickly uh fell away. It quickly vanished because I had so much good competition and um, you know, no support structure after years of just living off the compressor and katana, so Right, you know, that, that change in 2012 couldn't have come you know any sooner. It was a uh, perfect timing.
1: It really was, and, and that's uh, I think it's kind of interesting if you step back and look at it from a consumer standpoint, now that you've laid that story out for us, mm-hmm. You can see the change right in that time frame. Oh, yeah, it's sure. visible from a, from a product standpoint, and, and uh, not that anybody knew you were having trouble. I'm sure from a consumer standpoint, but it's it's obvious that there was a, a big shift at that point in the game. Sure, sure. I mean,
0: the first thing that came out was like a a red dirt. It was essentially our um, TS9 mm-hmm. on, on a new platform. And then a whole year later, Creighton and I developed the um, C-Foam, which was incredibly difficult to do. Um, It was unique. It it wasn't a copy of anything, Um, but that those two pedals took a full year and then, you know, 2014 unleashed and it was, um, you know, a pedal a month. And then, you know, now you've seen 2015, you know, we can, we can do anything. We can almost, almost, almost poke fun at manufacturing a new sound. We can do one, you know, every couple of weeks we can do one in front of the camera. So, um, it it took a lot of background work to to build up the the platform, the skills. Um, Aaron Tackett uh, doing CNC stuff, and then eventually in 2015 doing DSP stuff. All all these partners, if you will, um, you know, came came into play. So it's um, that that's what happened in the, in the past two years.
1: So you, you have all these, these people that have, have come into the fold, so to speak. Where do you track down that level of talent and then have as many of them as you have? I mean, that's just like people would kill Um, for that.
0: Yeah. So what happens is, um, they kind of, they kind of fall in your lap or they kind of exist. But then once you realize it, um, you have to foster that talent. You have to not only push them to uh do their job and to learn new things, but then um, you have to let them grow on their own. So that's been the, the. I mean, that is the complete key to success. Once you have uh, the talent there, you have to um, force them to learn new things. Then once you pick out the players that are capable of creating on their own, you have to stand back because then they're as excited as you were a decade ago and they're creating new things they're creating um right along with you so uh all i do is you know kind of call out the project outline um the you know the vision for the thing and um they're there to uh create and, and amaze you and that's that's what the past you know that's what 2014 and 2015 have been just harnessing the talents of people that uh, now have skills have the tools, like a CNC, a, a, a printer that that prints on the cases, um, the CAD programs that C- Creighton works with. Um, those things, uh, you know, have helped them, help me succeed.
1: That's very very cool. Like oh, it is. It's 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 fascinating to hear about that that behind the scenes stuff. Um. Ah, I have so many questions and then I try sure, to, go pick, ahead. Trying to pick the one like trying to pick the one that to, to ask. It's like, uh, it's hard when there's so much cool stuff going on. I just have all these these questions about DSP, um, because I'm I understand it on the surface of it, but like if I was to try to like put my finger into that, it would probably frighten me and I'd end up well crouched you know, in the, a corner somewhere. The DS-
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the DSP stuff is like that. It's um it's very exciting because you don't you you um you can't burn yourself with a soldering iron. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um
0: you know, when you you can't break the leg off a resistor or a capacitor. And um you don't have to order parts. So DSP um digital signal processing is using your imagination your programming skills, um, working with the hardware and software to maximize your uh, creativity. And so if if I were to tell Creighton, hey, man, we need to come up with a tremolo circuit that randomly vibrates the pitch um, to simulate a, a tape deck, it could take us months to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But... In the DSP world, you know, I tell Crate, I tell Aaron, um, use a, you know, random number generator, have that tickle some sort of pitch shifting algorithm, and, uh, you know, in, in five minutes, it's done. In, In, in two minutes, it's done because he already has it done, you know? Um, so the building blocks for DSP, um, are, are are incredible tools for creating new products. Um I've been working with DSP since the um I don't know 1999 1998 and uh it, it's uh, you know based on programming and uh getting a computer to um you know process audio signals. So it's um incredibly fun, incredibly rewarding and you can do magic with it that's that's the fun thing with it it doesn't take uh you know hardware components to make something happen. you can make it happen and you can dream bigger than you can in the analog world so uh dSP has been very rewarding for for our company even in the the very early stages
1: is there um and you know this is my very rudimentary look at it from a a player's perspective um and i'm sure you have a much more insight into it than i do but when i look at the digital pedals and mm-hmm. uh and things I, i'm like okay verbs you know de- reverbs delays uh that kind of thing of course they they're they're just knocking it out of the park with that kind of stuff yeah i haven't yet experienced myself a drive or a fuzz or uh any kind of dirt pedal really that was digital that really knocked my socks off. Like, and I don't sure. know if that's, if that's me being kind of, um, kind of a snob or if that's me, uh, or if that's a real, like, legitimate complaint. Is that, no, what's, what do you think about that?
0: No, it's, a, it's a legitimate, uh, complaint. Um, uh, I think the only person that I've heard do it really, really convincingly myself is, um, Dr. Mark Gallo he has an amp- uh product called uh amplifier um it uses two shark processors um these heavy duty DSP processors the same stuff that's used in the Strymon stuff it uses mm-hmm. two of them to finally get gain distortion heavy distortion heavy heavy gain uh correct it takes a lot of processing power to get those nuances correct and um not many people do it i think that uh, kemper uh profiling amplifier mm-hmm. right uses uses a pair of those and so it takes an extraordinary amount of processing power speed memory and uh uh technique in 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 crafting code um to understand uh how to make something that sounds good for guitar players so, um, for example, we have a distorted reverb in our, as one mode of our gold star reverb that, that'll be released tomorrow. And, you know, I, I think Aaron and I have done a good job talking about it and crafting something that sounds good with a very simple, um, spin FV1 processor. Um, I think we've done a good job with it. It's, it just puts distortion on the trails of the reverb. So it's not, it's not critical for say your core sound. Um, but for, for an effect, I think it's, it's a blast. It it offers something new. I don't, I don't know of any other pedal that does it. So you're right. Um, when I got my first uh, digital distortion pedal, a Digitech pedal that had 20 presets. Uh no matter what parameter you wanted to change, no matter how many things you could store and <laughs> save, it never sounded as good as some sort of boss dirt box.
1: You know? I know. So no, that was that
0: was the eighties. So no, I hear you. It it takes a lot of effort and um a lot of processing
1: um uh, capabilities to get uh, distortion to sound right. Right. I mean with the Kemper stuff it makes sense to me uh mm-hmm. uh why they would do that. But as far as Um, a pedal goes just, if you were just to have like a digital distortion with a bunch of different modes, it almost doesn't seem worth the effort as difficult as it sounds like it is. I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of, kind of speaking out loud.
0: No, I think you're exactly correct. I wouldn't, um, choose digital profiling, uh, DSP, uh, signal processing for distortion is my first choice. Way too expensive. It would take, you know, I don't know. Twenty dollars in parts to get it even remotely correct, maybe thirty dollars in parts to get it remotely correct. When we know that a a rat or a DS one or a TS nine can cost, you know, fractions of a quarter to get right. So <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, there's 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 no point. But when you start making multi effects units and um, you know dreaming of bigger things, then right. then it becomes pretty cool. Because like my friend, uh, Dr. Mark Gallo said, um, he can simulate voltages on the tubes that, 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 don't exist in the real world. Something that would melt the plates of a 6L6, even an American one. Uh, he can simulate things that just simply couldn't exist, but that sound delicious, sound fantastic, uh, outside the, the realm of reality. So at some point in time it does make sense there is the processing speed the power to do things with distortion that do, that don't exist currently and i think we're kind of you know on that on that
1: edge on that boundary now that sounds cool
0: mm-hmm. that's something
1: i could, that's something i could get involved in oh yeah very oh, cool yeah. i'm wondering what that even sounds like is that that old thing where like i just heard this I heard this tall tale the other day. I don't know if this is even true, but I heard it mm-hmm. um, where like, I believe it was Prince set yeah. uh, set a guitar amp on fire and, and recorded it as it was burning in like a concrete room somewhere. <laughs> uh, I wonder if you'd get some sort of weird sounds like that. If, if that's even a true story, I have no well, idea. Well, you know what's, but...
0: what's kind of fun about that? True, true or not, um, you know, the, the essence of the story is that something happened at that fleeting moment. Um, where, where you, where you can't replicate it. And that's kind of what it, I think, um, amplifier does and what D- DSP is going to be capable of doing, not only for me or, or for a host of other, um, people, but, but maybe even more so for the, for the DIY crowd. I, I oh, think right. There's, there's a uh, spin cad, which is something that allows people to create on the, uh, spin slash FV1 format. So, You can start to create some of these uh, reverbs and delays with darn near no technical ability or understanding of what's going on. You literally, you know, connect dots, color inside the lines, and you can start to create these effects pedals. It it doesn't allow you the control over nuance, and it doesn't allow you to, you know, it doesn't give you a license to use your own brain for what sounds good it just says you can make a reverb you can make it a chorus you can make <laughs> right it right but um um i think uh to your point you know what what happened in the room when the amplifier was on fire and getting ready to you know be destroyed what, what what kind of great sounds came of it um well now you can you can create those sounds um digitally so i'm not saying it's the answer for everything it's it's really not i mean uh the, the same folks that, that create those things get turned on by a fuzz pedal that, that, that we do. So, um, right. two, two transistor germanium thing. They're like, dang, man, arcade, that thing sounded killer, man. What did you do? I'm like, I did nothing new that hasn't been done in 30 <laughs> years. It's just that your, your fancy, you know, Nassau computer still can't, you know, Capture those things quite exactly, so it's kind of funny, huh? It
1: it is. It is kind of a comical thing to think about, but it's like, man, I just love I love that 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 sound. You know, like there's always that sound that you're searching for as a as a gearhead, and sometimes those simple circuits, it's just like, mm, oh yeah, really, really, what is needed? You know, it's a, it's kind of a kind of a funny thing. Like we get sometimes overwhelmed with the. Uh, You know, giant pedal boards and all kinds of different everything going on. But uh, sometimes there's something to be said, like, I'll just take everything apart, Les Paul Jr. into maybe a a fuzz face or something similar, and just go in a one-channel amp. And it's like, ah, man, that feels good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No kidding. It really does. It really does. So... So that that might be a good way to slide into uh, one of my usual questions, which would be, if I don't know how much playing out you get to do these days or if you're too busy cranking out all these pedals, but if you do do playing on a regular basis, what's your current rig kind of look like?
0: Shoot, you caught me, man. You caught me um fair and square. Uh, I haven't played out in forever. I mean, I've been so wrapped up in... Uh, business and things like that that I I have not had a regular gig in many years since I was in college. So um, I've had a couple invites here recently that are more than attractive um, but uh, I want to get back to that, trust me. I'm trying to actually change my role at Keeley Electronics so that I can do more recording and playing out but right now I don't play out. What what pedals I enjoy are, are you know, our 30 milliseconds, our Oxblood, our um, 1962, uh, a couple other pedals that um, are the best stuff we've ever created. So when when I play, it's it's more rewarding than ever to, to play my own gear, you know, so I can definitely point at what I enjoy playing now and what other players, you know, are enjoying now. I know that the sounds that I'm getting when I uh, am learning this recording process are, are better than... Than i've ever heard uh from my company in a long time so i i don't have a gig right
1: now man <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not too surprising uh with the volume you guys are putting out that's i couldn't imagine you having a whole lot of time for much else uh,
0: no but but i i do i do understand the magic of playing live and getting the stuff to work live so that you can be inspired, and, and play music. When, when you can be inspired and, and the sounds come out naturally and uh, you can just kind of let go, uh, that's where the magic happens. That's where I want people to be, where the sound is, is um, you know, very rewarding and very uh, effortless to get a good sound. So that's, that's always been, you know, my goal.
1: Right. Right. Oh, I know something I wanted to ask yeah. you about so this was a this has been a little while ago um pff, probably probably two or three months mm-hmm. you you did a post on on Instagram of various sections of your personal pedal collection oh yeah um I've never seen anything like that in my life like that <laughs> was that was like like every music store in my area is in your closet. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, in your estimation, I know this is going to be, this is not even really a fair question to ask. How many pedals do you think you own, roughly? Mm, I don't know. Not including your own, you know, what your company has in yeah. stock, whatever, just your That's personal good, collection. Those
0: pictures didn't even show the whole thing. I couldn't get the whole collection in there. But, <laughs> I mean, it was frustrating because, you know, some of the vintage uh, wah stuff and, you know, some of the funky stuff. Was in the background. You couldn't couldn't capture it. I, right. I don't know, man. There's probably. I can tell you, it took me, and my son, and a buddy of mine, Chris uh, Mahoney. It took us like, and Aaron. I think it took us like a whole hour to using you know, postal mail tubs to move them from one room to another. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I don't know if there's. I don't even want to put a number on it. It's kind of scary to put a number on it. I know it's a fraction of what I had because, like I told you, I lost uh, most everything in, in a divorce. I mean, I had these stackable mail tubs full of vintage 808s and Bosses and MXRs and you know stuff like that. So, I mean, whatever you saw in that picture there, which is pretty cool looking, um, was just a fraction of what I've had. So, wow. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's, there's lots of pedals. Most of them, are, <laughs> m- most of, most of them are gone. Most of the good ones are gone, so whatever you mm. saw in there was just a fraction.
1: Oh no, the good ones—the good ones have taken flight. Oh, that's that's yeah. terrible. I hate to yeah. hear that.
0: Yeah, that's all right,
1: but man, yeah, I, I—I was trying to explain that to because I one of my friends the other day, he's like, "Oh, you know, I, some guy, you got a lot of pedals. I'm like, "No, I don't." I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, I got, I have, I have a good amount." you know who has a lot of pedals? Rob Keeley has a lot of pedals. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like trying but, to explain to him what I had witnessed. It was like mind-blowing. So, yeah.
0: I'll 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 have to put some some more pictures up here so you can point to them, but um now pedals are fun because they 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 are easier than an amplifier, easier than a guitar oftentimes to get a new sound and to inspire you to create new music. So, that that's what the magic is in pedals. Um I agree. It, it, it's it's a quick way to find um your muse, find find some way to uh get inspired. Um if you had to buy a guitar to get inspired or change pickup selector switch, uh change the tone controls on your amplifier, it's a little more difficult. But if you can um I'm not saying it's necessarily better, but <laughs> it is it is a way to get uh, you know, the creative juices flowing and to start creating. And that's, that's what, that's what it's
1: about. So most definitely, most definitely. So let's see. Hmm, I'm looking, looking through things here. I'm so professional. Uh, You're good. good. Um, Do you have a particularly like a favorite circuit? Now that's hard, not really fair to ask, but do you have like, you could just point to one and be like, either one you've created or just one that you're really impressed with. Hmm.
0: Well, that's a, that's a good question because some of the circuits that that I'm impressed with, you know, I don't I don't fully understand or know by heart or anything like that. For example, I I think the um line 6 DL4 is a, you know, a complex, beautiful, you know, circuit. It's just as awesome to me as um the Fender 5E3 uh deluxe circuit. Mm-hmm. Um you know, a 1959 Fender deluxe um is just as inspiring and magical as as that DL4 in my mind. So um there there's several circuits like that 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 just make a lot of magic. Uh, I I truly enjoy our new um Oxblood in 1962. Those those things um, are are great sounding. They're they're very easy to play. They're fun to make music on. I enjoy our um, the platform that holds our uh, thirty milliseconds or our reverb. Those those circuits um sound good and um are are fun and inspiring. So, I mean, there's there's classic circuits. Obviously, I like the the TS nine quite a bit. I mean, who who doesn't? It's fun no circuit. kidding. Me. It's it's um. Very, uh, uh, malleable. You can change it. You can do a bunch of different things with it. Um, so there, there's some circuits like that. You know, a circuit I think is fun is the, um, Mutron 3. The Mutron oh, 3 is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, it's got all kinds of stuff you can learn from it. All kinds of different circuit elements that, um, that help your understanding of, of how, uh, sound works and how, how things become dynamic. That's what I like about that circuit a lot is that there's a lot of filters so that the sound is, you know, made vocal or, you know, you know, forced in one way or another. And then there's things that measure your, your pick attack and your, your playing so that it influences some other part of the circuit. And that's, that's kind of what's made our DSP stuff a, a lot of fun because instead of setting up uh, big complex circuits that kind of a uh, way or measure your, your playing, your attack, your, you know, what the envelope is um, to control some other part of the circuit. You can do that so much more easily with uh, DSP. So we can create, you know, uh, uh, dynamic-based modulation or dynamic-based rhythms, dynamic-based pitch, um, stuff that would be very difficult in the analog world. We can do more, but if you don't have an understanding of, you know, where those things, um, initiated and, and how they inspired musicians, um, it's kind of hard to put the pieces together. And I think that's where we're succeeding now in our circuits now is combining several types of, uh, you know, studio craft or, um, effects so that, uh, you can get new sounds or sounds that were only available with, uh, you know, in a studio. So the the circuits that inspire me are 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 the old ones and, and the new ones, you know. But mm-hmm. the crazy stuff like the DL4 and some of the stuff we're doing and you know,
1: those things. So Is there another company out right now um that you would say is like doing super intriguing stuff that you are really impressed with?
0: Hmm. You know, Man, it's, it's, it's so hard to pick favorites because I feel like, um, I've, I've, I've got a lot of friends in the industry, but, you know, um, I think, uh, Jamie, uh, Stillman with Earthquaker, mm-hmm. um, has, has inspired me in ways to, uh, make sounds that are outside the norm so that people can, you know, further cre- create. So, s- Although I don't um I don't listen to his catalogue of effects so much. I think I understand, you know, where his where his forte in creating sound is. So um uh his his kind of crazy uh noisemaker thing is very inspiring to me. Uh, I think the the Gold Star Reverb that we'll come out with tomorrow um kind of demonstrates how excited I am about Sounds that, um, that are outside the norm. Um, I, I think that, um, companies like, um, Wampler and JHS and Catlin bread, um, all bring something to the party where they, they are definitely putting their best game forward, their best sounds for the, the best, you know, they can do. Um, and, uh, uh, core, basic sounds. Um, you can't deny how how good their stuff sounds. You know, I, I have to throw into the mix, like, um, Jack DeVille, mm-hmm. um, who has created uh, some of the more pioneering sounds with the um, FV-1 that we're using right now and enjoying success with. I think he designed uh, several of the core products of uh, Catlin bread and um yes so, that's true so, so he's he's very inspiring um in terms of being a pioneer and a front runner in that whole thing um it's kind of funny once once you get a hold of this uh dsp stuff and you start creating on your own um it's still like it's still a little bit like the wild west because if you have an imagination and you understand how things work and what musicians want um then you you can you can move forward you know so I don't know, all all those guys are, all those guys are really good. You know, um, Philippe Herndon of, uh, Car- Caroline, Felipe Herndon of, uh, mm-hmm. Carolina Guitar Effects yeah. puts together fun packages. Um, you know, there's a bunch of, bunch of, a bunch of good stuff out there. I mean, they're all, they're all great. Um, I, I think, uh, 2015 for, for us has been, um, kind of hard to beat because oh <laughs> we've, we've um we've put together quite a few you know very interesting packages that 30 milliseconds and stuff like that's kind of you know really unique i can't i can't even point to another effect pedal that does what that one does so when you kind of get lucky like that to put together a package of sounds that haven't been done before it's uh that's very
1: rewarding how did that pedal come about? I was, that was something I want to talk about. That thing is, that thing just, I, I gotta get my hands on one. That thing looks so cool. It is.
0: It sounds more amazing uh, than you can imagine with, with, with two amplifiers because you get uh, oh. a, cor- a chorus sound that, that you've, you've just never heard before except on studio recordings. And I don't know. I wish Aaron was here, my, my DSP guy at the shop. To you know, help line out the truth and myth and lies. But um, <laughs> I, I think what happened is he had been working on things and had stumbled upon um, the concept of the Haas effect or, or the precedence effect. Both those are names for this uh, delay time that's less than thirty milliseconds. You can't hear the delay, but it creates a uh, chorusing type effect. It has you know phasing type effects and stuff like that. The Beatles. Um, Ken Townsend and John Lennon, you know, crafted this, this sound, um, because John Lennon was too lazy to re-record the vocal guitar <laughs> tracks. And, and that, yeah, yeah. And that brilliant guy, Ken Townsend, you know, thought, hey, you know, what if I feed the same track back in with a little bit of uh, delay time? Um, can I not create something that sounds doubling? And, uh, sure enough, he created a sound that's, now you know indispensable uh studio tool so um when Aaron started to talk about it I think I pretty much jumped off the floor when I was testing some other sound and went yeah exactly that's that's exactly what we need to do I want an Abbey Rhodes you know studio pedal I want all those sounds I want I want you know random tape modulated double tracking I want you know strict straight up double tracking I want the same chamber reverb that uh, we put in that they that they use I want our best approximation of all those sounds in, in one pedal and then you know the graphics for the for the case became you know based on the Ampex you know tape reels and and the Grateful Dead Dick's pick stuff Um so the whole package came together the whole uh the, the sound was was um kind of formulated kind of that fast it was like yeah that's exactly what we need to do because no one else is doing that mm-hmm. and that that's a sound that we immediately love you know if you if you listen to mike hermans doing you're no good um on on his demo of the 30 mm-hmm. seconds it, yes. it's it's mind-bogglingly good i think it's still one of the best demos of, of my pedals that exist Um, because it perfectly captures what could only be done in the studio. And now there's a pedal that does it. So that's, that's kind of exciting.
1: It's very exciting. Yeah. That is a great yeah. demo. He does great work. So shoot. <laughs> I, th-
0: I think his music is like many, many opuses, many uh pieces of uh musical art. So I thoroughly enjoy working with him and, and the, um, the sounds he creates i think they're a lot of fun <laughs>
1: yeah he does he does awesome he's one of my favorite guys to watch so that's oh yeah that's fantastic yeah oh man there's so many questions i have rob i'm not i'm not just saying that but we are um we have done what what has what always happens is we get i get to the hour mark and i'm i'm not done talking yet well you, you can schedule part 2 i'm going to have to because mm-hmm. uh this has been an excellent chat. Um but you know, most people if they if they're already at work. They've they've made the commute <laughs> and now they're yep. and now they're watching Mike Cameron's demos in their cubicle. So Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It is just I love well, hearing all, all your stories. It's awesome.
0: Blake, it's so it's so fun. This this business is fantastic. I hope people listen for a couple seconds more. I take this job very seriously. I know everyone else does too. I know everyone's trying to make the best product out there, but I somehow feel that, that I am trying my best to make inspiring sounds. Not just sounds that work, not just pedals that work, but sounds that you can create new music with. And, um, so I, I, I hope I'm doing that. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But um, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I think I'm best at. It's like, yes, that sounds good. That's what I would listen to. That's what I know works for people. And um, so hopefully that's
1: what people take away from Healy Electronics, you know. Most definitely. Well, again, you know, thanks, Rob. I, I think you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, Us uh, GearHeads really are uh, digging it. So, great. Great. If it ain't Thank if you. it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: Keep going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll keep that my my team is is kicking butt right now. So, wait watch out for 2016.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah, so, is there good. any anything you want to uh I I forget to do this sometimes and shame on me, but I'm getting better. Is there anything you'd like to uh shamelessly plug for anybody who is listening something coming up new? Where they can find your stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Uh, no, I mean, I just, uh, just, just visit the website, just check out the new stuff because we've got, um, we've got for the NAM show, we have a bunch of, uh, tone workstations, which are, you know, three and four multi-effect type units that'll be at the NAM show in, in January out in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. So, so we've got, we've got that. We've got a flanger, uh, on deck. We have, uh pedal we call uh capital reverb that's that's on deck um based on the reverb chambers Les Paul uh designed for capital records so man it's just there's so much stuff on deck and uh so much stuff we're having fun with that uh, I just hope people keep on um you know finding something that that you know inspires them so that's it
1: very good well I'll put the I'll definitely put your website link in the show notes everybody you can check out everything that uh, Rob and the team are doing through that link. Yeah, yeah perfect. So, uh, Thank you very much again, Rob, uh, for taking the time. And, You're very uh, welcome. I will go ahead and close out by saying, uh, for Rob Keeley, I'm Blake Wyland, and everybody, good luck and good tones. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Alright, that does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it, and thank you to Mr. Keeley for coming on the program. That was highly enlightening and very enjoyable for me, so I hope you guys loved it as much as I did. One last thing is, if you have not yet, don't forget to head over to ToneMob.com and hit the Join the Mob button, because If you hadn't done that already, that means you missed the Christmas special that I put out with Mr. Keeley himself. So, that was good times, and you don't want to miss more subscriber-exclusive things like that. So head over to ToneMob.com and hit Join the Mob. That does it for this week. I'll be back next week with another episode. Have fun, stay safe, and play with more fuzz.